At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the Gospel. Good morning, everyone. Today's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, and it's titled, <clears throat> excuse me, in my, uh, in my Bible, The Living Stone and a Chosen People. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious stone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone is the, build, the builder is rejected, has become the capstone. And the stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined to do. Thank you. Thank you, George, for reading from God's Word today. That's going to be our focus today, 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you haven't turned there, I encourage you to do so. We'll have the words on the screen here um, if you don't have the scripture with you. There's a man named Kyle Dugdale. He was a graduate student at Harvard Graduate School of Design. And in his thesis, he wrote powerfully on the role that residential architecture has played ever since humanity was expelled from the Garden of Eden. So here's what he writes. Since the fall, we have been busy constructing dwellings. The architecture of our houses is in some measure an attempt to fill the sense of being home, which had been lost ever since the garden. Architecture struggles to mitigate the effect of the fall like a fig leaf covering humanity's exposure to the elements. In the end, it is not so much of a cure as it is an expression of humanity's homesickness. Now, as I, as I look around this room and think about our church family, and I think about the variety of homes that we live in, I mean, the variety is pretty huge. Our family, when we moved to this community three years ago or so, we moved into a brand new house. There were no marks on the wall. There were no, uh, no spills on the carpet. Everything you see now is ours. It's our fault. But everything's new. Everything's uh, newly manufactured. It's a new house. Compare that to John and Claudia, who when they moved into the community, they bought... A farmhouse, how old is that, John? 1874. 1874, a little older than ours. But it's home. Right? I think of, um, I think of George and Neva. Uh, they live in George's grandfather's cabin 
that's now been redesigned over on Harson's Island. Compare that to Harry and Naomi, who live in a home basically the same size, but it's on wheels. And they're able to just move that home wherever God directs them. I think of Debbie Chartier. She lives in a complex designed for dozens of families to live in, but they get their own private quarters safely housed in this large apartment complex. Contrast that or compare it to the stewards who live way out in the boondocks on a private road where they struggle to see more than one or two houses um, with an eyesight of them. But it's home. So all of us have these various and sundry types of dwellings that we live in, but it's home. Home's important to the human heart. We need the nest. We need a place of security and refuge, a place of sanctuary, a place of provision. We need home. We've needed that since the garden. When God provided a dwelling for us in the garden, he made it perfect. There was no threats. Ever since sin entered the scene, we have been struggling to construct a home that satisfies our needs. So it's no wonder that Peter in this letter uses home or house as a metaphor for a spiritual concept. It will resonate with all of us because we all need a home. We all need a place that we, that we call home. In this letter, just a reminder in this series, we're studying this letter, especially the first two chapters, that was written by Peter, right? one of those 12 disciples. Peter wrote it after Jesus ascended back to heaven. Now he's part of the mission of going into all the world to, to spread the gospel. He's writing the letter to Christians that had been dispersed from their hometown because they had began to follow Jesus and that didn't bode well for the people around them. So they were driven from their communities. Now they were living in what we would call living in exile. So he's writing to exiled Christians providing them with the security and confidence and truths that they need to live well while in a difficult time. It's pretty relevant to us today, wouldn't you say? We're kind of living in difficult days. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. You have a hard time planning what you're going to do for Thanksgiving because what's it going to be like? Now, it's starting to settle in. We're starting to feel a trend is going in the right direction. But how many times have you heard it said, unless there's a spike... You know, and then, okay, then what are we going to do? So there's some uncertainties. What's the economy going to do? Uh, what are the freedoms going to do? How is the election going to go? All these things are in our hearts and minds of uncertainty. So the letter is very timely for us to say, okay, but here's things we can anchor ourselves into. This is the hope that God has given to us that far outweighs any uncertainty in this world. Last week, Joe uh, led our study of the word and he helped us see that we have been implanted we have had implanted into our hearts the seed of the word of God that produces love for one another and we need to continue to increase in our love for one another and I hope you are I hope that when you wake up in the morning you're saying Lord help me to love you more and help me to love others more because that is the essence of following Jesus loving the father 
loving people. First Peter will help us with that. So let's look at this image of a house that George read for us just a couple minutes ago. Verse 4. He says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As you, who is you? Well, that's, that is you, and that's me. It's also the people that received the letter for the very first time, but it was a letter intended to be read by everybody else that believed in Jesus. So, as you come to him, who is him? Him is Jesus. Yep, he's the, he's the one that's as you see, will be called the living stone rejected by men in the sight of God. So let's start with that concept of stone. Most of our houses are stick buildings. Some of you might live in a stone building, a block building. Um, but even that is different than maybe what the people would have recognized. Most of their architecture was made by literal stones that would have been plastered uh, together. But this idea of stone was pretty common in the scripture, in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 118, for instance, describes um, a song. It's a song that was actually sung in the temple. As people would gather, say, let's say this was the temple. We'd get together. One of the songs we might sing on that day of worship was Psalm 118. It's a song that celebrated refuge in God and about a cornerstone rejected by people but precious to God. That's what we'd sing about. Well, a few years later, Isaiah wrote about a stone. He wrote about a warning. He was warning the people that the stones that had constructed the temple that you found great delight in gathering for worship, those stones are going to break down. Uh, the, the Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem will be attacked, the temple will be broken down, and the stones from which it's built will be laid rubble, but out of the rubble will rise a stone, a stone of a new building. And that's exactly what happened. A few years after Isaiah wrote that letter, wrote that prophecy, Jerusalem was attacked. The temple was obliterated. And there wasn't a stone standing on, on another. People were taken into exile. The Babylonian Empire, you read about it in your history books. Uh, they took the Jewish people into exile. Daniel was one of those young men that was in exile. Daniel had, his, had God's finger on him. Daniel was given certain visions uh, that are recorded for us in Scripture. If you've never read the book of Daniel, from beginning to end, I'm not talking about the lion's den story, that's good, but it's, there's so much more to the book of Daniel. But in Daniel's letter, in his prophecy, there's these incredible visions. One of them was a vision of this huge statue made of several different types of material. There was iron, there was clay, there was gold. Um, and, then, and then the Bible says that that idol that was so impressive was destroyed by a stone that was cut out of the mountain. It came against the statue and knocked the statue down. And Daniel was given the, the explanation of that vision and, and, and the angel of God told him that that stone is the kingdom of God. 
So this idea of a stone, if you were a Jewish person reading this letter from Peter, it would have been very familiar to you. Centuries later, after the temple had been rebuilt and the Jewish people began to think of those prophecies and see that, yes, the kingdom of God is being built again. Out of the rubble comes a stone, a new temple. The temple was seen to be that central place of the ministry of God. And actually, rabbis began to teach that the living stone of the new temple was Judaism. And Judaism would bring life to all people that committed themselves to that to that religion, to that faith. And so they would, they would craft all types of regulations to make sure that you were abiding by the kingdom of God so that you could take part in the stone that was now rising out of the rubble. And then, out of Galilee, this poor Jewish man from Nazareth named Jesus began to say, the stone is actually me. So he, he stole from the Jewish people this, this identity and saying, no, the stone isn't Judaism. No, the stone isn't the temple. The stone is me. And, and this, this stone will form this temple where true worship and spirit and truth will take place. That's why Jesus said to the people that were so amazed at the new temple in Jerusalem when he was there and they said, wow, look at this, look at this beautiful construction. And Jesus said, actually in three days, the temple will be destroyed. Then it'll rise again. They said, how dare you? You can't destroy this temple. This is our temple. But Jesus wasn't talking about the temple. He was talking about the real temple, him. That he would be killed and three days later, he would rise again. Because he is the living stone. He's what the prophets predicted and prophesied about. The living stone is not a it, it's not a concept, it's a person. So you, as you're in exile, as you're going through a life that's kind of filled with difficulty, know that as you come to him, the living stone that the builders rejected is precious and is chosen before the foundation of the world. So that's this idea that he's a living stone and then you'll see that he's, he's describing a stone around which this new house will be built. Let's look in verse five. It says, you yourselves like living stones. I thought Jesus was the living stone. Well, yes, he is. But now Peter says, actually, you're the living stones too. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So during the former days, the temple had been central to how God's people express interest. Right? When you come to the temple, you would um, maybe offer a grain offering. Uh, maybe the priest would burn incense. 
Uh, maybe there would be a, an animal sacrifice that would take place. All these were expressions of worship in the Jewish faith. Well, believers in Jesus now, as they would go back to the temple, they would see that, oh, this is all pointing to Jesus. The incense is, is the expression of God's presence with us and our ability to pray. And the, the, the grain offerings is pointing to Jesus who is the bread of life. And the animal sacrifices, that's pointing to the lamb of God that can truly take away the sins of the world. And so after Jesus rose from the dead, believers in him and Jesus ascended, they go to the temple to worship and their eyes were finally opened. Oh, and I'm finally understanding why the temple worship is so precious because it's pointing to Jesus. Maybe that's why it hurts so much when they were told by the religious leaders, because you believe in Jesus, you can no longer come to the temple. It's why it hurts so deeply that they were driven out of town and told, you can never come back here again. You've been ostracized from our Jewish community. We're not even going to consider you Jewish people anymore because you're claiming that Jesus is the stone. So Peter's writing to them to say, you know what? Temple's not the stone. Jesus is the stone. And you are stones in the temple. So wherever you go, there goes the temple. Don't you know that you are the temple of God? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You are the temple of, of God. It's you as a believer that God chose from now on, I am going to express my presence in the hearts of people, not simply in a building. I have a new house. And each one of you are stones in the house. Now, here's something I thought of this week as I was meditating on this, on, on vacation. Um, I, um, I thought of how the temple was constructed and how God prescribed the temple to be built. That he told the, the builders to go into the mountain and cut the stone and then bring that stone and fit it into the temple. Don't cut the stone when you bring it here. I, I want you to bring and add to the temple the cut stone because that stone needs to fit. So when he says that you are the stones, one of the things I thought of is, well, that's pretty sweet because so many times I, there's this thought that actually you need to, in order to, to fit into God, you need to have your life all cut away and fit perfectly. You need to make sure your life is all fixed before God will really accept you. And that's not how it works. Where he went to the mountain and he said, wow, all I see is a bunch of rock, but I'm going to choose this one and I'm going to cut it. They don't have to cut it. I'm going to cut it. So when I add it to my family, they fit. But you're a living stone. In other words, it's, it's not that you're static now and don't change. Actually, you fit. You're part of the household of God because you're not there because of your goodness. You're there because of the, the craftsmen fit you. But as a living stone, you continue to change and grow and mature and learn to know him more and love him more and follow him more faithfully and to live a life that better reflects the living stone, Jesus, the cornerstone. 
So folks, I hope first of all, as we think of these verses from Peter, that we would recognize your place in the house of God. That you have a place. Not because you're so awesome, because you don't fit because you're awesome. You're fit because the master builder is awesome. And he crafted you just the way he wants you. But he made you a living stone because he wants you more in the image of Jesus. He loves you too much to leave you like you were now as a living, growing, active part of the family of God, he wants you involved in his mission. Because this temple isn't simply a building that stays there. This temple, it moves and it spreads and it multiplies and it grows. And we believe that the church of Christ, the temple of God, the people of God need to multiply and grow in this community. That's why we're here. That's why the Woodside campus was started here in Algonac. Because we believe there's more gospel need in this, pres- in, this, in this region. And so we want to gather living stones together that would then go out and spread the name of Jesus. That's us. It's not me alone. It's not just Joe because he preaches pretty good or Bill because he, eh, he does too. It's not, it's not because it's, it's, it's all of us. It's little Liam. Did you see him with his baseball hat today? You should ask him about that, where he got his baseball cap. Well, he had such an incredible week. Or you could even ask him, hey, Liam, did I hear you ran this week? How far did you run? Just ask him that. You'd be amazed at little Liam. Liam's how old, Naomi? Five. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Five years old. But it was pretty sweet. My dad passed away here a year ago on the drive back from Grand Rapids and the funeral. Liam started asking the questions about heaven and how we know grandpa's in heaven and how he can know he can go to heaven. And so the gospel was shared with him and as with the faith of a child, He prayed to accept Jesus. It was God cutting him into the perfect stone and fit in the family of God. And now the temple of God is even more glorious. Simple faith of a child. Or the oldest, I'm not going to point out who's the oldest here. Right? But, But the oldest amongst us and everybody in between has an important place in the family of God. That as he gives you breath, he wants you to be a part of his mission, of his, of his movement, because you're a living stone. The uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, they won a national championship basketball here about four years ago. LeBron James brought the trophy home like he promised he would. And all the basketball players receive their championship ring, right? That's what always happens. It's, go- di- it's gold, it's diamond studded, you know, I, it's my ring. Well, the owner, Dan Gilbert, did something different than what most often happens. He invested personal monies into purchasing a thousand more rings than just for the basketball players. He purchased a thousand more rings because he wanted everybody on the team to have one. So he gave a ring to the hot dog vendors and to the ticket collectors and all the way up to the basketball players because he realized 
And he knew that this is a team win. And we all had a part in the success of this year. Silly illustration, but what God has called us to do. He's called all of us, whether you're a ticket counter or you're handing out bulletins today, or whether you're set up or tear down, whether you play beautiful guitar or sang in a microphone, or whether, no matter who you are, that God has etched you into a living stone and he's got a place for you in his mission. And then, then there's some negative words in this, in this passage. Verse 8 says that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. God knew from the beginning that there would be those that saw the cornerstone and said, I don't want that cornerstone. That offends me. And so they disobeyed his word and didn't believe in the stone. And they miss out on being part of the kingdom of God. So it's a warning. Peter's warning the reader, don't be one of those that stumble at the word, that find it offensive and disobey it. I have found in my journey that the, that the Bible can offend me. Have you found that? The Bible, as I read it, sometimes too often shows me that I'm wrong. That the way I spoke to my wife was, it was wrong. That was a sin. That the, where my thoughts took me was sinful. The things I say, the things I long for, the things that I want, it's telling me I'm wrong. And there's not very many of us that like to hear that. But here's the, here's the prediction of Scripture. Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, for, for all Scripture is given by God, it's inspired by God, and it is profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, those sounds like pretty flowery words, and we would probably all say, yep, that, the word of God is for that. But think about what that means. If the, if the word of God is profitable for teaching us, that implies that we don't yet know it all. Right? That, that we're still pretty ignorant in areas that we should know. I don't like to be called ignorant and unlearned. But it's true. If it's true that the word of God is profitable for reproof, it's not a word we use often, but it's a, it's a word that, that reveals that what you think you know isn't true. So if the word of God is profitable for reproof, that's telling us that what you think you know is true isn't true. Even things you're confident in, it's not true. Because there's someone, the truth, that has given a different word. And his word always trumps ours. Sometimes that can offend me. That what I think I know isn't right. It's profitable for correction. That implies that what, some of what we are doing isn't right. Now I like to do right. But the word of God sometimes corrects me and tells me that, no, what I'm doing is wrong. 
and that needs to change. It says that it's profitable for training in righteousness. That implies that we aren't yet doing all that we should be doing. So what do we do when the word of God begins to conflict with where we're headed? One of two things. Either you can respond in humility and submission to what God's word says and who Jesus is, or you can choose to embrace the thought that maybe this God who created the world that gave every possible evidence that he is good and right and perfect, that he gave his life for me and who chose me, that I know better than him. Uh, the Jesus who's timeless, that's always been there. He's, he's already been to the future. He has all power. He has all knowledge. He has all wisdom. Except for this bit. I know better than him. I can choose to follow Submit and say, I don't fully understand, but you've never failed me yet. So I'm going to trust you. And if your word has caused me to see a conflict in my life to what it says, then I am going to change to follow you. Your way is best. So the cornerstone that the world rejects because it offends them he can actually be the foundation of a beautiful building that you are a part of. So two questions for you. First of all, has there been a time in your life when you by faith have said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's given his life on the cross and rose from the dead in payment for my sin. I place my faith in him. Has there been a day in your life when you have said yes to God's offer of salvation. That forgiveness of sin is simply placing your faith in what Jesus has done and that can pay for it all and that can redeem you out of sin slavery and it can make you his child. Has it been a day when you've accepted that, when you've responded to him? If not, today could be that day. It could be the day where you simply, by faith, claim Jesus as your source of salvation. If you have, what do you do when the word of God speaks to you? Are you a living stone that responds and changes and becomes more brilliant as part of the, of the structure that God is building throughout his world? This beautiful household of God, this beautiful home, this habitation for the spirit of God, the church? You say, okay, I'm in. I trust you. I'll change. I'll stop this. Or I'll start this. Or has it offended us and say, no, this is my life. I mean, I'll give you Sunday. All right, Lord, I'll give you Sunday. And I'm sure you'll be impressed by that because, you know, I'll, I'll come twice a month. I'll give you that. The rest of it, that's mine. Man, that's missing out so much missing out on so much of what God has for us. I pray that you would say, I want to be that living stone that brilliantly shines the glory of God in our world. Let's pray. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to now bring this home to us. Father, we, we know that we all have our own unique challenges and, and struggles, Father, and 
We have our tendencies to go our own way. And so we ask that, that you would, Father, conform us to your image. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to change us. So we ask for that, Lord. I thank you for what's been taught over behind me here with our kids. Thank you for the, the gospel of salvation. is is so simple yet profound that, Lord, even the children can understand it. I pray that more and more of our kids would taste and see how beautiful and good you are. And I pray for everybody in front of me, Lord, that's watching online, that's, that's here in our building. Lord, I, I pray that all of us would have that spirit-filled response to you, that we would commit to following you regardless of where your word takes us. We know your will is best. We embrace it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.